and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Stephen Alexander. And I'm Jason Thompson, just about. <clears throat> Jason is recovering this week from the uh, almighty episode we had last week, which was... Oh, yeah. Atlantis Arise just wiped me out. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty much a special one. But we got some good ones this week, I think. Yeah, they're not too, they're not too bad. Interestingly, they both seem to have the same basic premise. Yeah, they are surprisingly similar in many ways. Uh, and I, I always wonder if it's like, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's just the ordering of the episodes. They just happen to have two that are quite similar next to each other. They are... Similar in premise, but they're very different in what actually happens and the feel and the tone of them. Yeah. So let's crack on with the first one, which is Day of the Machines by David Wise. And this starts off with a nice little voiceover at Quantum Labs. What do you think they do at Quantum Labs? Absolutely anything, because quantum is one of those uh, words that's used in sci-fi and fantasy to mean pretty much anything except what it actually means in physics really but never mind but you'd think they'd be doing some kind of cutting edge quantum physics research but it turns out they're just building machines yes machines that are designed to help people and we start off we we are at the lab in the middle of the night and there is a plan there's schemes afoot because in one of the scientist labs, there is a mysterious parcel, a mysterious violin case, and a mysterious blue tape deck. With the Decepticon logo on it. I wonder what that could be. Yeah, well, we, we I think we all know. I mean, it's not even like, they're not even pretending. It, we all know who it's going to be. So the security guard comes and picks it up, and he takes it to their handily enormous lost and found cages, where they keep all... Uh, I don't know, these scientists must lose a heck of a lot of stuff. They, they must, they must. I mean, one, one thing that jumps out immediately in this opening scene is that the, the opening narration says there are the well-guarded quantum laboratories. Evidence would suggest that might be something of an exaggeration. <laughs> because somehow Soundwave has already got in there. A mysterious violin case. Have they got a musical section in this laboratory? Many scientists are well known for playing the violin to relax. I can think of one famous example, which is Albert Einstein. Is that true or is that a myth? I have absolutely no idea. You can't fire random questions like that at me today, Steve. It's not going to work. <laughs> okay, I, I will hold back on asking you questions about science and physics. I'll just make up my own answers. I will see how we go. Talking of making stuff up as they go. So they, the guard abandons the lost and found and so begins a stealth mission for the Decepticons. Because... <laughs> Oh yeah, stealth? I'm sorry. Oh, what? Stealth? No, it's stealth because they've snuck in. Soundwave transforms. Laserbeak pops out. Okay, so Soundwave's obviously there. That's that's obvious. Laserbeak pops out. Laserbeak has a little tiny key that he uses to open the violin case. And inside the violin case, it's Megatron. On the one hand, I love the uh, the fact that they've leaned heavily into the cliche of the gun in the violin case. Yes, that's a classic. But it does seem rather unnecessary for Soundwave to eject Laserbeak, then give Laserbeak the key to open the box that contains Megatron. Could, it, it just, is Soundwave not good with locks? <laughs> it's a very fiddly little key. Uh, it just, it just seems. But then, uh, just just to just to make sure this is a real stealth mission, 
they've transformed inside a wire lost and found cage. So how does Megatron get out? He blasts it with his fusion cannon. Yeah, there are a couple of minor little details in this stealth mission which kind of go unregarded, which are Megatron blowing stuff up with his fusion cannon. How every alarm in the base went off, I don't know. Yep. Megatron blasts his way out of a wire cage, which seems like overkill. No one and nothing responds to two hulking great robots and a metal bird moving around the facility. Laserbeak isn't even being quiet. He's squawking in his metallic way that he does. And then they get up on the roof of the building and blow a huge hole in the roof. And not a single bloody alarm goes off. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I, I the Decepticons are well set up for stealth. I, I think they should use Skywarp and got him to teleport everyone in. That would have been so much better. But Skywarp could have teleported in. Laserbeak could have snuck in. Ravage could have snuck in quietly. <laughs> but no, we'll just blow holes in the building. They have got a lot of stealth actors. I mean, Reflector could have been involved somehow, but obviously no one cares about Reflector anymore. I don't think Reflector appears ever again at this point. I think he's made his last appearance now. We've had enough of him. It is revealed that they are after the most powerful computer on the planet, Talk 3. I think it's Talk T-O-R-Q-3. Do you... I? It's not Talk T-A-L-K-3. No, it is T-O-R-Q. And nobody explains what T-O-R-Q actually stands for, why he's called Talk 3, or anything like that, or why he has a huge face on a big screen. Yeah, he's a sort of big blue sphinx-like thing, and he's got this pink face like Angel Delight. And Megatron goes straight in there, and he reprograms Talk by just pressing a few buttons, and also a huge thing that comes out of his forehead and drills into Talk which looks utterly bizarre and obscene. It does look very, very, very bizarre. And Talk's face goes squiggly for a bit and then reforms looking a bit evil. (laughs) It's terrible. Random fact, trivia, sound effects buffs. Uh, They've dug out their BBC sound effects uh, LP again because there's a very brief snippet of the Sontaran scout machine from the Sontaran experiment from Doctor Who, as as talk is reprogrammed. Jason, I thought you said you were off form tonight. That is a superb spot. <laughs> I watched this two weeks ago, okay. <laughs> and I made the notes then when I was feeling better. <laughs> reprogramming talk three is not enough. They need to take control of the machines as well. So he pulls out what looks like these giant glowing SIM cards, which is kind of years ahead of its time, <laughs> and these are circuit linkers. They become very important later on. And they, he can use, talk can use those to control other machines around the office and around the world. Yeah, this is all a bit weird because it, in common with the following episode as well, we're presented with a major human achievement in technology without anyone actually ever telling us what he's supposed to do. And it's mentioned later that his talk is the only machine that can build other machines. And it's built all these weird and wonderful machines, but apparently can't already control these other machines that it's built. So these weird little control chips have to be stuck on them. And then Megatron puts one on 
demonstrates that it works and then tells it to go and put chips on all the others. It's like, that's, that's delegation for you. <laughs> <laughs> Lazy old mega. Well, these scientists, you know, they're just out of control. They are building machines and robots all over the place in this world, just for any old reason. I mean, I don't know how they get funding or anything. There must be some kind of big pot to build any old crap and design anything for science. It's got to be running out by now because things keep getting blown up by Decepticons and Autobots. So. <laughs> <laughs> and talking of these scientists, we then meet these scientists. And one of them is called Dr. Paul Gates. Yeah, like the billionaire Dr. No, he's not a doctor, is he? Bill he's Gates. Not a doctor, no, Bill Gates. But Bill Gates was known at this time. Microsoft hadn't really taken off into the huge global corporation that was. But Bill Gates was, uh, was into computers by now, mid-80s. Yeah. Um, but Paul Gates, and, and they're doing that thing again. I'm going to say they're going to they're doing that thing again. Those bloody scientists are wearing white coats in their office for no reason, except that they're scientists. So they must wear white coats at all times. <laughs> right. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Actual scientist here. Always offended by that trope. <laughs> there are two classes of people in the Transformers world. There are the labourers who wear yellow boots, beige tops, and blue jeans, and the scientists who wear ja white jackets. And you need a way to tell them apart, and that is all we've got. <laughs> so Dr. Paul Gates is chatting with his mate, and he points out that Talk 3 could control the world. You know, he's having a bit of a hyperbole moment. And it looks like Talk, well, Talk 3 can control his filing cabinet, which bizarrely opens at a random moment. And then... The other scientists are saying, well, it's all going to be fine. Talk 3 is not really something you need to worry about. It builds other machines. It's going to help humanity somehow, somehow. But, you know, as soon as you say, I'm worried Talk 3 is going to control the world, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, you also think maybe you should have thought about this before you turn the blasted thing on. <laughs> but, yeah, the filing cabinet thing is weird because one scientist pulls out a remote control from his pocket, presses a button, and a filing cabinet opens. That seems somewhat insecure to me. But more than that, it turns out that torque can also control all the doors because they suddenly swing closed and lock. Now, if torque can already do that, why can't it already control the other machines without the chips? Did, what, I, I don't know. Weird. Didn't any of those two scientists hear the at least two huge explosions or the sounds of giant robots clunking around the facility? What were they doing? Oh, well, if you're going to go that far, how can Talk 3 close wooden doors? Uh, well, that comes to one of my pet peeves when it comes to machines controlling objects. And it's a common trope. They do it a lot in TVs, in cartoons, in movies and all sorts a computer can suddenly seize control of a mechanical device which is designed to operate with mechanical input. There is no way for it to actually exert the control. These things are not designed to be remote controlled. They can't be remote controlled. It's 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 one of the, it, it drove me mad when they did it in Terminator 3 when the TX took control of all those cars and it's like but if no one's turning a steering wheel or pressing an accelerator that car isn't going anywhere just because they have computer things in there doesn't mean they actually have control over the physical inputs that are required to drive a vehicle so yeah <laughs> well unless it's an electronic accelerator and cars don't really have those even if it even if it was electronic there's no mechanical it doesn't pull the accelerator down there's no way for it to pull its own accelerator down. You have to exert the pressure. So whatever the electronic systems that are involved, you have to actually put some mechanical input in 
And so a computer control just doesn't work like that. But the especially these chips that just you stick one on the side and bingo, there it goes. Fortunately, the next thing Talk does is a little bit more believable because he appears on the Visiphone and he tells them all... Maintenance can't help you, Dr. Gates. I control Quantum Labs now. Now, I find this kind of thing... And if I'd have watched this when I was a kid, because I, I missed a lot of episodes when I was young, I find this kind of thing inordinately terrifying. Uh, I often find robots controlling things and getting out of control and and taking over other stuff very very scary. Yeah, it is a, it is quite a scary trope. Suddenly, and anyway, we're thirty seconds of the episode, so let's get a move on. The doctor <laughs> starts to the doctor starts to rebuild the Visiphone for long distance transmission. So he takes the screen off and he's you know he's going to call for help. But this is this is just phase one of Megatron's plan. What's phase two? Phase two: rumble and frenzy uh, over the sea with Megatron. And Megatron gets Rumble to shoot control chips out of his gun and attach them to a fleet of oil tankers. Yeah, he's taken the boys for a nice day out, the two kids, and he's uh, given them a nice little task. So they're shooting oil tankers with these SIM cards, and the oil tankers are just obeying Torque's control. How? Who knows? Um, but, you know, there we go. Yep, and I checked the uh, Marine Traffic website uh, because I wanted to see, do oil tankers actually travel in fleets? And they generally don't. They just sort of potter about by themselves. You might get a bunch together, but I, they don't generally travel in fleets. But it's fine because this is the Transformers world and maybe they do here. They do here. And uh, the fact that they've all been diverted doesn't go unnoticed because Teletran 1 suddenly reports that all the oil tankers are converging in the mid-Atlantic near Decepticon HQ. Decepticon HQ has moved again. <laughs> it's now in the middle of the Atlantic. A few episodes ago, it was just off the coast and Carly could get to it in a small boat with some scuba diving gear. Now it's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. So much for my theory of it being in a shallow lake somewhere. Well, it is when it's needed to be. When someone needs to swim down to it, it's in a shallow lake. But, you know. (laughs) It's a very large base. It goes over a lot of ground. Anyway, so Prime says that his olfactory sensors detect a rat named Megatron. Yeah, because... that's a no Sherlock moment, isn't it? Suddenly the oil tankers of the world are converging over Decepticon HQ. Hmm, that could be Megatron. Yes. Could be. <laughs> I really can't think of anyone else this time. It could be Doctor Doom. Could be Doctor Doom. He's a likely candidate for these kind of shenanigans. But yeah. there's two emergencies at once. It's not enough for the Autobots to have one emergency. They've got to have two emergencies. So they get the call from Dr. Paul Gates, who's on first name terms with Prime. Yeah. And he's at the Talk 3 base. Although Prime doesn't know who the professor he's with is. He just knows Paul Gates, because Paul Gates is big and famous. Uh, Hound says that he wants to tackle the Decepticons, but Prime wants to go and help the humans. It's a dilemma, you know. Who are you going to help first? It is a huge dilemma, especially when you've got about 15 Autobots at your disposal and you could easily split up. But Hound has to go, I- I'll go. Oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually do. In a moment of rare tactical genius... Optimus Prime divides his forces and sends Hound and Skyfire out to track the Decepticons. He sends Spike too, because who cares? And uh, then the Autobots transform and roll out. Prime takes, a much be- Prime takes a much better crew. He's got uh, Wheeljack, Blue Streak, Ironhide, Sideswipe and Prowl. And you get uh, there's a lovely little transform sequence here, which I always just like to see. Love it. Uh, that's actually a pretty good team. I think he's going to do well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Then they so they arrive at Quantum Labs and bizarrely Optimus Prime pulls up to the barrier, stops, transforms, and rips the barrier off. 
Could he not just step over it? He's about 30 feet tall. He, he means business. I would, do you think they do that? They might do this all the time. Every time they get to a barrier or anything like that, they stop, transform and rip it up because nobody puts barriers in front of Optimus Prime. It's just not done. No. But they're waiting for them inside the base. There are a dozen green army tanks which open fire on the Autobots immediately. And Talk gives the orders, my, foul, my firepower will destroy those miserable Autobots because he's inherited parts of Megatron's personality, you see, when they did the, the mind control thing. So he's, he's got Megatron's penchant for hyperbole. And then Wheeljack rips the top off one of them to find that they're unoccupied. There's nobody in them. That's good because that means that the Autobots can just unload all their weapons on them and destroy these tanks without worrying about any human drivers. And so that's what they do. I absolutely loved this battle. This was a fantastic battle. And for once, with with the gloves taken off, they can shoot things and they actually explode and they're getting shot at and they're on the back foot. It was really, really cool. It's great. Optimus Prime's good grief. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't one of our shining days, as he says. <laughs> well, they get chased by that little military van, don't they? Well, given that they're having some trouble, Optimus Prime decides that there's only one way to deal with a problem like this. And what is oh, that way, Steve? Well, there are more toys to sell, so Prime declares that they need to stomp this problem flat, which means that he presses the little special button that he's now had built into his abs, which summons the Dinobots. <laughs> which is always a highlight of any episode. So the Dinobots arrive very quickly and on foot. Yes, although the Dinobots are one of the few Autobots that are consistently shown to be able to fly in robot mode. So maybe they flew. So, so well, they run in. Well, it's it's ironic because the only Dinobot who doesn't show up is Swoop. Yeah, not sure what Swoop's doing today. Maybe he got lost on the way. I don't know. Maybe he's uh, nesting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got some little hatchlings. So uh, the Dinobots immediately start stomping on the tanks. And not before Grimlock... Grimlock complains about it, though. Always get Autobots out of messes they get into. Dinobots, smash <laughs> Yeah, this is becoming a bit of a recurring theme, isn't it? So Grimlock bites them, Slag melts them with his fire breath, and Sludge just stomps the chrome out of them. It's so great to see. God, I love Transformers. It's so cool. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. And having dealt with the uh, various problems... Optimus Prime stands on Sludge's head to lift him up to the window to to rescue Dr. Paul Gates and his friend. And then randomly, when Gates says that Torque can't control vehicles that are not designed for it, Sparkplug appears. Oh, Sparkplug, yes. Well, it's nice to see him anyway. They need a human to help communicate with humans to keep them calm or something like that. Although Prime already obviously knows Paul Gates personally. Talk 3 took over the machines, but why, says Dr. Paul Gates, why? Prime jumps to a conclusion and says the answer is Megatron. Megatron is definitely doing the oil tankers. He's not definitely doing the Talk 3 going out of control, but yeah, I, it probably is him, isn't it? I, I would be inclined to, to go to Megatron as the reason for it, given that the Autobots just got shot at a lot. And really, there's only one group of entities in the world that would automatically just shoot at the Autobots. Yes, apart from the GoBots. Got to be Megatron. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't end well. So Paul rightly points out that you can't control a machine that isn't designed for it. Paul's on your side, Jason. It can't yeah. be done. 
It can't be done, but it can now, according to Sparkplug, because they immediately recognise this control chip. Important point, Optimus Prime takes this control chip and keeps it. Yeah, he palms it, doesn't he? He, he, he? Well, he doesn't palm it, he sort of wrists it. It goes into a little cubby hole in his wrist. Yes, which opens and closes with the sonic screwdriver sound effect again. <laughs> oh, proper raid on the Radiophonic Workshops uh, LP. <laughs> Very definitely. Prime but... shows off his delicate lock-picking technique by blasting the door to torque control open. And that is not that was not a good move because immediately a ton of really weird and terrifying machines come pouring out of this hole. Yeah, so we thought the battle was over. Nope. We're going to keep on going a bit. There's more to come. There's more to come. Because that's quite exciting, we have to cut away and see what Skyfire, Hound and Spike are up to. They are landing on an oil tanker because they've identified that there's a massive platform in the middle of the ocean with an energy barrier over it that they can't get through. But they reckon that if they get on board the oil tanker and hide now once again skyfire is the biggest autobot by a considerable margin but apparently he can hide in, on an oil tanker they'll get in that way and skyfire does that weird thing where he has a half transformation he gets his legs out yeah hands on the deck for a bit in half jet half robot mode opens up his door so that hound and spike can pop out and then completes his transformation to robot mode which is bizarre yes the autobots all leave skyfire via the door in his crotch and they ramp down and they immediately, the uh, the captain of the ship is just Captain Birdseye. There's not even any attempt to disguise it. It is Captain <laughs> Birdseye with a white beard and everything. He offers them a fish finger and says, you know, I need help. Someone's taking control of my oil tanker and all of my crew are also hiding somewhere uh, underneath the deck. So they've sent um, Skyfire on a stealth mission. Stealth missions this week are not really anybody's forte. No, stealth is not a thing. The, the plan actually initially works brilliantly it's superb the they're on the oil tanker goes under the green dome straight into decepticon base and instead of like sneaking around the base finding a weakness they go right up to megatron and shout not so fast mega meatball go get him guys so again stealth mm, not really working for anyone stealth not a thing Another rather odd moment in this one is that when they when they join up, uh, a crane, a lorry crane, connects a hose and zaps, you know, sucks all the oil out of the tankers and pump, pumps it down to Decepticon HQ for the energy, which it seems one of Megatron's more sensible ways of getting rid of getting hold of energy this time round. Actually, just bring all the tankers to one place, siphon off all the oil, and we'll deal with it in our HQ down there where no one can get to it. No one, We're not going to have stockpiles of Energon cubes lying around where any fool can shoot them, blow them up, steal them, eat them, whatever. You know, so this is actually quite a good one. But bizarrely, Hound refers to this crane as Hook, and it's clearly not Hook. Not quite, is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's the wrong It's the wrong, wrong shape. It's the wrong colour. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's really weird. Maybe Hook is driving the crane. Oh, so could be it, yes. <laughs> you've got a Constructicon sitting in a big cabin driving a crane. No, that doesn't make any sense either. I'm very sorry. No, it's, uh, I, th- I think perhaps whoever did the animation for this one didn't get the memo about who or what Hook was and what colour he was supposed to be. Um, but yes. you know, it's, it, if it is Hook, which clearly isn't, but it's supposed to be, um, it's a rather an odd one because it's a, it's about the only time that a single member of a combiner team appears on his own with no sign of the others. Yeah. 
Um, there's no there's no devastator or anything in this episode at all. The fight against the Decepticons goes quite well, but unfortunately the Autobots have brought Spike with them, who's a big liability. Laserbeak grabs Spike. Well, what happens is that Hound says Laserbeak has got Spike, and Megatron says, and we'll drop him on the rocks unless you surrender. Um, what rocks? You're on a big metal constructed platform in the middle of the ocean. What are you talking about, man? (laughs) (laughs) We'll find some rocks to drop him on. It's fine. We'll go and find some rocks. But of course, Hound and Skyfire immediately surrender because you you can't have Spike dropped and squished. No, uh, still not. Still not with the uh, still keeping the U rating. It's very important. Very much so. Back at Quantum Labs, Prime and Co. are having a nice old punch up with the machines. And I thought they looked like, I, they looked a bit like the, you know, remember the monster mines from Jason the Wild Warriors? Yeah, they had that kind of, although they were more organic, weren't they? But yeah. these had the that kind of weird and wonderful robots with jaws and claws and tentacles and yeah. all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Very, very bizarre designs. But I'll tell you, score one for accuracy on this episode here. Okay. Because at one point, Prime says it's a molybdenum alloy and points out that this makes it very tough. And indeed, molybdenum is used in military and defence application because it does, in fact, enhance the strength and the resistance to wear and corrosion of alloys used in construction and vehicles. Excellent. So we will give them a mark for that. Molybdenum stronger and denser than Cybertronium. That's what yeah, we found out today. Actual real element as well. <laughs> they have they have a history throughout this series of throwing in actual elements. They've, you've had you know iron and nickel, and at one point selenium, which was a bit of a daft one because that isn't a metallic element and certainly wouldn't have worked for what he said it would. But this one, molybdenum, yep, real al- real metal, quite a high melting point, makes tough alloys, and they do use it in military applications. So it's quite possible that these robots would indeed be molybdenum alloy. For years and years, I thought it well because I, I read it first. It was in a Doctor Who book. It's in the Wheel in Space, and I remember it as a keyword because I always used to pronounce it molybdenum. It's in the Sensorites as well. That's where I read it first. Molybdenum in in the Sensorites. And did you pronounce it correctly? I very much doubt it. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, remember it was thirty years ago, Steve. I don't remember. <laughs> I just, I just distinctly remember molybdenum being a thing for a long time until somebody said molybdenum. It was like, is that really? No, mm. it is. <laughs> okay, more excitingly, though, a giant jaw is eating Prowl. Sideswipe is pinned by terrifying claws and Prime is fighting the tentacles. And it looks like that they are absolutely stuffed by these machines, but then they easily defeat them. And the most ridiculous one is the machine that seems to be spraying Ironhide with water that gets defeated by Ironhide sticking his finger in the hose and causing it to explode. (laughs) That is a tried and trusted technique. Don't you go knocking it. If something is firing some liquid out out of a nozzle at you, you just plug it up with your finger or something and the pressure will build up and it will blow up the machine long before it blows up anything else. Inside torque control, they so they finally get past the machines. They're inside torque control, and they find a huge metal maze, which ugh, 
we, uh, we saw Megatron blast in from the roof earlier, and there's probably still the hole there. And they could have just gone through in the hole Megatron made, but somebody's built a huge metal maze between then and now. And Prime decides that what he needs to do is to go in alone because he can't risk everyone going in at once. And also, the Dinobots have just gone. Yeah. You, you'd think they could just, you know, blast their way through, stomp their way through the walls, go to wherever. Yeah. You can't risk going in alone. But Prime goes in alone. What a what a guy! What a guy! And it's 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 a cool looking metal maze as well. I got a real Cybertron vibe off it. Yeah, very, it very much is. like their hometown. Yeah, yeah, very much. And as he's as Optimus Prime is walking through this mysterious metal maze, Talk is taunting him, saying that he thought he was more courageous, and so he sends out some more robots to defeat him. I think actually Optimus Prime is being pretty damn courageous here. He's got rid of everyone else. He's just going in on his own. I think so, yeah. But then, oh God, the robot spider. Oh, I, I, I've got octopus. Robot spider, octopus. No, it doesn't it's matter. A spider. It's a spider. It's huge. Okay. It's got <laughs> multiple legs. It's it's silly. But it sticks a control chip on Optimus Prime. <gasps> yeah, yeah. So Optimus Prime immediately falls under the control of Talk, and we very clearly see the chip go from. The end of the tentacle onto Optimus Prime with no cuts or anything. We very clearly see that happen. Yes, we do. Why Why are you drawing attention to that, Steve? Is that going to become significant shortly? I just wanted to point that out now. So suddenly right. Optimus Prime is under Torx control and he's turned evil. This is the second, it's the second time he's turned evil? Attack of the Autobots, I got. Attack of the Autobots, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's the second time he's turned evil. And... Talk says that now this is it. He's brought to face to face with Angel Delight face and he's talking to the computer and Talk says he's going to take control of the Autobots and Talk will be the master of everything. At which point Optimus Prime goes, nah, 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 nah. I was playing you. Nah. <laughs> yes, he swapped the SIM card for the dead one he got earlier. Except Some. he very, very clearly did not. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely did not happen on screen at all. <laughs> yeah. But it, I, it's a great idea, though, the idea that these circuit linkers could actually be used to take over the Autobots. Unfortunately, it's also one of the, those ideas that breaks the show because that's just all they would fire at each other all the time. You'd just fire circuit linkers and attach it to a big computer. Yeah. I mean, they already did that right back at the beginning of the series with that thing that they stuck on Skywarp that Teletran 1 allowed to control the Decepticons and that was oh that, that was in uh, roll for it I believe it's still cool anyway it's a thing that happens Talk orders his machines to destroy Optimus Prime and they all start closing in on him but Optimus Prime he's, he's, he's not going to sit there and let a whole bunch of machines attack him he just runs straight up to Talk and smashes the control panel and yeah, that's it for talk. Talk. The angel delight swirls around. He makes some funny noises. Anything that you recognise there, Jason? Uh, again, a bit more of that uh, Sontaran scout device uh, is in there. Uh, but yes, once again, Prime thinks nothing of trashing a large, very expensive human achievement. I wonder if that will come back to uh, haunt him later in another episode very soon. <laughs> the Decepticons are bang on to this, aren't they? Yeah, Soundwave immediately realises that Torque is no longer controlling all the tankers. But that's all right, because Megatron somehow has some other remote control device that he's just acquired out of nowhere. 
he literally pulls it out of his backside. If you watch it, he just turns around and suddenly has it there. It's perfectly done. And it looks like a sort of large blue tea tray covered in equipment and a globe or something like that, as you'd expect a control device for oil tankers to look, basically. One of them. So uh, we, the Autobots, I've got to get there to stop Megatron in his evil plan to steal all the world's oil tankers. And there's only one way. Well, actually, there's 10 ways. There's only one way this week that they can get to the Decepticon base quickly enough. Yep. A prototype hydrofoil, which is the fastest thing on the water and somehow Sparkplug knows how to drive it. <laughs> it's, it's this kind of intermittent genius and buffoon thing that Sparkplug gets. So Dr. Yes, Paul he's, Gates... having a, he's having one of his good days um, today. He's actually being quite sensible and useful. He's, uh, do you think he's better when they let him out of the ark? Um, I think he's better when they actually remember to write him as a genius mechanic that he's supposed to be and not an idiot who doesn't know what a Stegosaurus is. <laughs> Stegosaurus and Triana, who's it? Still oh, and, you, and you're in MOBA something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But never mind. But it turns out that Spike is pretty handy with tip machines as well. Yes, and so they've uh, got Spike, Skyfire and Hound prisoner in this room full of junk. So they just chuck them in a junk room. Uh, not the same as the prison they put Carly in a couple of weeks ago. This is a new room because obviously the previous one was flooded. Ah, there we go. Ah, but they're not actually in Decepticon HQ this time round. They're on a platform that's been built above it. So Even more? Ah, <laughs> you've out my R. I've out your R. Ah. But, yeah, because it's a junk room and because this is rather like the A-Team, there happens to be a huge electromagnet in there. Oh, oh, this is good. This is good. So Spike, being uh, not particularly metallic, is able to hold up the electromagnet against the wall and hilariously, he pulls Blue Rumble and Ravage backwards and they get pulled up against the wall and Ravage is flailing his claws around and Rumble's <laughs> complaining. I, I love that bit. That was really cool. Yeah. Where, where's the power coming from for that electromagnet? Because that's a very powerful electromagnet. It's not running off double A batteries. I'll tell you that much. And <laughs> the John Cubes. But it's handy because as soon as Rumble and Ravage are apparently out of the way, how Spike knew through the wall exactly where to point the electromagnet, who knows? Skyfire just kind of breaks the door down. And if he could do that, you wouldn't think that Ravage and Rumble would create that much problem for Skyfire and Hound. Well, they I think the argument they might have raised the alarm. I think that's the problem. But they could well have done, yes. They run down a corridor. And they have to get to the green dome control to let the Autobots in. That's kind of what we're doing now. They've got to let the Autobots in on the hydrofoil, got to turn off the green dome. And they find the second most stupid tape bot, Frenzy. Frenzy. Yeah, explicitly named as such this time around. So <laughs> my, my red rumble theory has crumbled. It has indeed. It has indeed. But yes, they just, uh, they, he, Frenzy is about as useful as any guard in any of these situations. As soon as he's presented with a slight distraction, he runs away from his post to try and get to it. At which point, Hound gets there and blows up the controls, which is what they wanted to do in the first place. So, yeah, he does it with his shoulder. I mean, earlier he said he had no ammo. He blows it up with his shoulder missile. Uh, don't care. That's fine. Well done, Hound. Well done, Hound. And it's just as well that he does that because that hydrofoil arrives and 
leaps out of the sea onto the platform. Oh yeah, yeah. I make 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 sure on spots arriving. He sees it coming. Says they'll never get past my force field, and the force field immediately turns off, proving him a sucker. <laughs> Prime then jumps out and comes up with his his double entendre of the week. Your pumping days are over, Megatron. Which I kind of oh, you didn't find that funny at all. Um, I'm, not even, I'm not even going down that road. Not today. <laughs> Yes, I. There are podcasters who would have made hours, hours of content out of a line like that. But this is a quality podcast. <laughs> hey, I did a podcast on a Doctor Who episode that included the line "It came from Uranus." I know it did. So you know, I'm, I've got form on this. <laughs> a fight breaks out. There's a shock. <laughs> Prowl realises that Megatron has a remote control device because he sees it using it. It's not an inconspicuous remote control device, is it? This sodding great tea tray thing. Yeah, I know. It makes it wonder all the harder how Megatron produced it from where he did initially. Prime goes after him. Megatron, like, instead of joining in the fight or giving the control device to someone else, Megatron runs off like a big coward and Prime chases after him. And they are very soon having a nice wrestling match. They just love wrestling. (laughs) <laughs> they, they're, they're you know you get them together and within a few seconds they are on top of each other having a big punch up Megatron actually like right so loads of times Megatron says you know he steals something and says it's mine and this time he says the transmitter is mine but it actually is his for a change just for a change it is but marvellously Prime goes oh here you go then catch and Megatron fumbles the catch and destroys it yeah, the transmitter is destroyed. Megatron declares that he will be avenged again. Again. <laughs> again. So the humans all team up. Prime says to the tankers, it's time to go. And because, like, I mean, we're looking at the clock here, Megatron orders the platform to explode because basically that's all they can do now. You know, you've got, there's a minute left, you know? Yeah. Um, and the Decepticons withdraw at 19 minutes and 54 seconds. So, you know, there's still a little bit of time left. Yeah, still got a little bit of time left, but they're all withdrawing from their own platform. That can't be good news for the Autobots and humans left behind, can it? No, they're not. The Autobots run off to the Hydrofoil, but Prime has to find Spike and the others to escape from this platform that is about to explode. And it's all going off. There's explosions everywhere. We see Spike, Hound and Skyfire running around and they're, they're absolutely stuffed. But, you know, Prime is your hero. Prime is the the guy you've been waiting for to save the day. He rips a hole in the ceiling above them, which happens to be the way out, and then asks Skyfire for a lift because his plan evidently involved finding them and then actually taking advantage of the fact that Skyfire could have flown himself off that platform at any point anyway. So, yeah, it's great. It's great. I Prime, rule of cool. It looked great. So that's the main thing. We'll give him that. We'll give him that. And so that's it. There's a huge explosion. The platform is destroyed. Sinks down below the waves to where the Decepticons can happily enjoy all the Energon cubes that they actually got round to harvesting from those oil tankers. Yes. Once again, the Energon Energon has been harvested. Large quantities of oil have been stolen by the Decepticons. And a human facility has been trashed. Millions of dollars worth of damage for all those bits of machinery that were trashed, torque being trashed. 
But it's all right because Dr. Gates wants to make talk tamper-proof. Yes, he's going to have another go. And, uh, oh, he's a bit of a faux pas here. He says, like all machines, talk is basically unreliable. Forgetting, again, that he's surrounded by these mysterious alien robots who all glare at him as if he said something unconscionable. Um, and then he sort of laughs it off and says, yeah, well, <laughs> pop yeah. him. So, so. You know. Well, I give I give him marks for that one because he did say apart from there's one type of machine that's okay and oh Autobots you took the word right out of my mouth it was in there with my foot, <laughs> which did actually make me laugh I have to say that one Aww. I did like that line, but it is a classic everybody laughs ending to the episode and quite right too how how do you know a cartoon episode is ending unless everybody's having a good laugh about something absolutely but yes that's it for that so who is your man of the match. Man of the match, Optimus Prime. He puts in quite a good showing this time round. He does trash quite a few um, vehicles that are attacking him. He gets into talk on his own, and he does the old switcheroo to deal with the problem. So, you know, I think I think Prime does quite well this time round. I cannot disagree with you. Absolutely, Optimus Prime. I thought it was a really good showing for the Autobot leader. Only a few dumb things, but to be honest, splitting up your forces rescuing Spike and Hound and Skyfire, I think, yeah, superb. So well done, Optimus Prime. And well done, indeed. I really enjoyed this episode as well. This was a bit of a classic, I think. It, it, it's, I, I think it's quite a weird one. It seems like there's sort of two plots that got mashed together because the whole talk control thing seems like there should have been more to it because you you needed to take control of talk so that you could control the oil tankers and do weird and think what a and what is talk actually for um it, it just seemed it seems like there was two ideas with not quite enough plot to sustain an episode mashed together really i kind of agree i think because you could have had a cool episode of the autobots fighting talk's army and just that and that could have gone on for a bit, and then you could have a bit more of a showdown with Talk, who doesn't is a great potentially a great villain, but doesn't get a huge amount to do in the end. But I think what would have happened then is you'd have had an episode of Transformers that didn't have the Decepticons in much. Now I think later on they're kind of happier to do that, but at this point you've got to have lots of Decepticons and lots of Autobots because you got toys to sell. Yeah. And they didn't make toys of Talk's army, so it, you, you're kind of hidebound with it, which is a bit of a shame, because, yeah, I'd have loved to have seen, like, the weird machines invading the Ark, or stuff like that, or, you know, actually, the control chips actually working on some of the Autobots, I think that would have been cool, so there's a lot of potential that's kind of skimmed over in this episode. Yeah, or even just taking control of ordinary human machines like when they first start it's tanks and things and then suddenly it's these weird and wonderful outlandish devices with chomping blades and squirty nozzles and robot spiders and things like that it's like you could have had you know human infrastructure turning against the autobots and people that could have been quite filing cabinets filing cabinets could have been attacking people left right and center you never know it could have been great (laughs) don't go near that filing cabinet no marjorie no it's got my tie save yourself (laughs) (laughs) uh well when the evil shredder attacks as they say (laughs) take more than a couple of teenage mutant ninja turtles to get you out of that one wouldn't it Oh, Lord. Right, let's finish this episode right now. And I'll tell you what, let's just do another one. Why not? Let's do another one. Why not? (laughs) 
Jason, it is time to enter the Nightbird. Ooh. Oh, hang on. No, wait. Can we rephrase that, please? It is time for Enter the Nightbird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, to try. Jason, it is time for Enter the Nightbird. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> anyway, conspicuously, this episode is written by two people, Richard Milton and Sylvia Wilson. What do you notice about the name Sylvia Wilson? It's a woman. <laughs> Well, blow me. So, uh, but, you know, fortunately, fortunately, there's a man there to prop her up. So that's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet with two of them writing, it still manages to be a... an episode of the Transformers. Not one of my favourites. Let's put Not it that way. Not one of your favourites. No. Okay. Sylvia Wilson only has the one credit and it is only the story. Richard Milton, I didn't check up. I was just interested about Sylvia Wilson. I thought she might have gone on to have a career or something, but nope. She is responsible for Enter the Nightbird. Yeah. Which is probably why she didn't have much of a career afterwards, to be honest. Oh, that's a bit yeah. harsh, but yeah. it, is, it is a terrible episode. Sorry. It's it's just awful. Careful, Ravage. <laughs> <laughs> Keep those claws in. Uh, so the Autobots are busy doing some welding. And they are welding the floor. We see lots of Autobots welding. Wheeljack has made some detection panels that detect metal. That's useful in the arc, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this episode starts with the most ridiculous premise and doesn't actually improve at any point. Wheeljack has made a set of detection panels that react to metal. Now, the walls, floor and ceiling of the arc are metal. All the Autobots are metal. And Optimus Prime says, well, the Decepticons won't be able to slip past this easily. They can bloody fly. <laughs> How will this work? Are they going to turn it on and then you just can't walk down that corridor? Because the Autobots are going to be setting it off all the time. Uh, sorry, Jason, I have to interrupt you there. Dr. Fujiyama's on the phone. Do you know he's a famous scientist? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> he's a very famous he's the second famous scientist who seems to be on first no he's not on first name terms with Optimus Prime he's just Dr. Fujiyama no first name Dr. Fujiyama which is how we know that he's definitely a Japanese scientist and Dr. Fujiyama wants the Autobots you know he's seen the Autobots in action he's seen the effect they have uh, you know he's probably just seen the footage of Talk 3 being destroyed he says I want these guys to guard my invention it's a special robot yeah <laughs> Optimus yeah. Prime is intrigued, so they yeah. go. Wheeljack is less than impressed. They all take the mic. Yeah, well, to be fair, so they go to a big conference centre. Yes, it's in a huge glass and concrete dome, and all the Autobots stand inside the conference centre on guard, looking, you see them all looking at the stage, on guard, with their backs to the doors, looking at the stage. Wheeljack is still taking the mick out of the robot. Yeah, which is under a sheet. Point. The robot is under a sheet. Don't know yet. Could be anything. Don't prejudge. Wheeljack assumes that it's got an extension cord. Ratchet asks if batteries are included. And Wheeljack says when it turns on, they'll probably blow the lights. So that's a nice bit of a mickey taking. I quite enjoy that kind of stuff where they're all yeah. laughing at this robot. Optimus Prime is not impressed and tells them off for being rude. Yes, Got to honour Dr. Fujiyama and his special robot. Yes, and he unveils this robot to everybody. Huge crowd of people, huge full auditorium full of people. 
and it's the world's first female ninja robot. Uh oh. This gentleman is the first female ninja robot. I have named her Nightbird. Magnificent. Tremendous. Unbelievable. Very impressive. Bravo. First of all, the fact that he says it's the world's first female ninja robot implies that male ninja robots are commonplace by this point. Secondly, this is, again, rather like talk three, but even more bizarrely. Why? <laughs> what the hell is she for? And why is everybody so impressed? The bloody thing's not doing anything. It's standing there inert. It's basically just a robot. This guy has built a robot in the shape of a woman. Now, there are various ways that you could interpret that particular activity, couldn't you? Let's be honest. Fortunately, there's a member of the audience who cottons onto this, who actually stands up. A guy with a big hand on bar moustache. He says, "Uh, why build a robot ninja, Doctor? And as I I mean, like if I was out, why build a robot ninja, Doctor? Are you insane? Would be my first question. Um, but there's a couple of problems here. So uh, first, Prime has to ask what a ninja is. And Spike explains that they're warriors. And Jazz says he's read about them. And they are deadly assassins. Everybody's favourite kind of assassin. Yes. <laughs> the- as, opposed, as opposed to those you know, slightly less lethal assassins, which generally haven't qualified yet. You know, it's- the, the, the fairly painful assassins. The fairly painful assassins. Uh, but there's a real problem here, which is... Up till this point, you could up to, up to this very episode, you could argue that the Transformers are asexual, that they are just machines, and they, there's no concept of this male or female. They've just all got deep voices, whatever. But now, robot sexuality is a thing. There are female robots. There are only one, but this kind of opens a can of worms that is still writhing around today. I don't think it's really been resolved. No, it's the, it's a very much a thing in the Transformers franchise, um, which has come in for a lot of stick, and quite rightly so, frankly, in that, for whatever reason, the female robot characters in Transformers, whether they be human-built female ninjas or whether they be actual Cybertronian females, all look stereotypically female with curvy legs and narrow waists and, well, you know... They've got, they've got breasts. <laughs> They're built in that shape. And it's just, yeah. it's just, oh, it, I, it really irritates me, frankly. And I'm going to bring the GoBots up again. You knew it was coming. <laughs> GoBots did this so much better because all their female robot characters are just robots that happen to be female. They don't look any different except maybe one or two of them have faces that look like they've got a bit of lipstick on them. Yeah. Or a pink face. But they just have female voices, but they are robots that turn into vehicles just like every other GoBot. They don't... You couldn't look at them in a lineup and go, that one's female, that one's male, that one's female. Yeah, and I think until... Rel- I, well, fairly... Re- I mean, say, last 10 years or so... The other big issue is that you get male robots that are all different shapes and sizes. Some are, depending on the vehicle, really, some are chonky, some are streamlined. But whenever it's a female, it will always have those proportions. And it's, I, I don't know, it's its poor representation. And, of course, one of the most famous ones in Transformers the movie is not only in those proportions. She's pink as well, just in case we didn't get it. Okay, yeah. So, um, but the person to blame for this is Dr. Fujiyama and no one else. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. He has built Nightbird not as part of some sick and twisted fantasy. He's done it to demonstrate the limitless power of robotics, but obviously he's limited her powers. So limitless, but limited powers. This guy, I mean, seriously. Yeah. And limit and, and what is she going to demonstrate? <laughs> seriously, <laughs> what is she demonstrating? But then, of course, before we can think too much about this, the Decepticons turn up. Hooray! The Autobots have posted no lookouts, so when the Decepticons attack, it is a total disaster. First thing that happens is Trailbreaker gets blasted across the room. Someone declares it's that dino metal delinquent rumble and his punk pal frenzy. I think dino metal delinquent is far better than punk pal. So well done, <laughs> Rumble. That's that's a good reputation to have. And Rumble, uh, he does he does his party trick. And it's actually a good one. The cassettes come in and do their thing first. Rumble and Frenzy and Ravage and Laserbeak uh, come in. The, the tactics here are very sound because they've got a big conference center full of people and they know that Optimus Prime is not going to unleash the full fury of the Autobots while there are people in danger. And that does rather hamstring the Autobots a bit in terms of their response because they have to wait until the people have gone. Yeah, they're really paying for uh, their poor decision of not posting a lookout. And occasionally we just see the top of the dome and we see a laser going around it in a circle. It's intense noise, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, and then, it, then once the people have gone, big fight. Megatron is going to blast Prime, but Blue Streak takes the hit. Soundwave knocks Brawn off an upper level. Oh, yes. And this is uh, as covered extensively in TF Wiki, sadly, but I can't not mention it. This is one of the rare occasions where Soundwave actually gets the better of Brawn. Because normally, yeah. where we see Brawn kicking all kinds of backside, Soundwave actually knocks him out this time. So this just goes to show how bad things have got for the Autobots, really. Yeah. Fortunately, Soundwave suddenly gets blasted by nothing, and the nothing turns out to be Mirage. He's a hero. But Megatron says that Mirage should prepare to disappear permanently. And then it's all hell breaks loose. Bits of falling girder pin Ironhide while Prime is trying to rescue Ironhide. Prime gets shot in the back by Megatron. He makes some very odd grunting noises when he falls over on this one. Optimus, look out! <laughs> and then the Jets, Seekers, if you will, cut the top off the dome and it opens like an egg. And they steal Nightbird with some grappling hooks. Yeah, from right under the auto-boobs noses. <laughs> it's their biggest heist since they stole Gears. I mean, really. <laughs> it really is. So, wow. wow. And then the Decepticons are being so cool this week. So, firstly, excellently executed attack. Secondly, really cool new temporary base. Because what, do they, what does their temporary base look like? <laughs> Oh, it's weird. It's got a concealed entrance behind some rocks, but it looks like a whacking great Decepticon insignia. It's not exactly secret. You know? Yes, it's a 200-foot-tall Decepticon badge, their new secret base. And why have so they, they got another temporary base? Why do they need another temporary base? Is Teletran 1 broken? Did nobody notice them building this blasted thing? I mean, it's just its insane. <laughs> Uh, who's building that giant Decepticon insignia right in the middle of the desert, kind of near the Autobot base? Hmm. Could be anybody. Perhaps it's the Welsh. I don't know. <laughs> okay, um, that's a weird spin-off episode. <laughs> it's the first thing that came into my head. I'm sorry. So Bombshell 
one of the Insecticons is here and he uh, they've remembered that he's got the Cerebro shells and he is reprogramming Nightbird to be evil, basically. Yes, they've remembered that he's got the Cerebro shells, but he's not using them. He's actually just reprogramming her circuitry and sticking other bits in. Again, it's another odd one. They've got a member of a team without the rest of the team present. The other two Insecticons, nowhere yeah. to be seen. Don't show. They'd have been useful in the attack on the building, but a bombshell. Bombshell's the guy you need for this job, anyway. So he's the good one to get in. He is. Yes. Yeah. Starscream isn't terribly impressed by all this, though. No. Even after Nightbird receives her triple power booster, Starscream says that she looks like some Earthling play puppet, and Nightbird doesn't take kindly to that. Nightbird just punches him in the chest and sends him flying. <laughs> So I, this is okay. So we, we we need to watch Starscream here because he's this is a top Starscream episode. Oh, this it is, is. This is one of my favourites for him. So Megatron has a plan for Nightbird. Is it a good plan? No. <laughs> Nightbird is to steal the World Energy Chip from the Autobots. Apparently, none of the other Decepticons are capable of doing this, despite the numerous times that the various cassette Decepticons have infiltrated the base really deep. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's no good this time around. No, we'll use Nightbird to steal the world energy chip because apparently the Autobots have a chip that contains all the information about all the world's energy sources. On a chip. On a yes. chip. It's, a, it's actually a two-phase plan. The first Stage one, steal world energy chip. Stage two, exterminate the Autobots. Surely, surely, step two should be step one and step one should be step two. First go in, exterminate all the Autobots, then actually, why even bother stealing the World Energy Chip? You just got a home run, so it'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. In fact, the World yeah. Energy Chip, I just the World Energy Chip. Don't even bother with the World Energy Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's yeah. a MacGuffin. It's a MacGuffin. Hurrah. It is. But never mind. Back at the remains of the conference centre. <laughs> um, Prime is very sorry. And Dr. Fujiyama says it could not have been foreseen. Dude, this is literally why you wanted the Autobots there in the first place, was to stop this from happening. And they <laughs> failed miserably. Dr. Fujiyama has got serious issues. He is absolute nutball and should not appear in the rest of this episode. No, but he, he wants Nightbird returned unharmed. And this is the stupid promise the Autobots make that ruins most of the rest of the episode. Prime and Jazz promise to return Nightbird in perfect condition, not a scratch. Yeah, because all the components are needed and are irreplaceable. Why? <laughs> what the I... hell did you make this thing of that's irreplaceable and so important? Ugh, terrible. Yes. Uh, the damage report is not too good, apparently. I thought they were talking about the dome, but apparently it's the Autobots who are all injured and they've all been beaten up quite badly. Yeah, especially Brawn, who... Yeah fell off a platform yeah and he gets to travel in ratchet's giant ambulance mode yeah which is i again i love it when they do things like that just just transporting <laughs> people in the ambulances and there's a little ramp that comes out and they put brawn up on it and he doesn't want to go he's gonna like, oh, i can walk back to base don't be ridiculous brawn get in get in ratchet you'll be fine so we cut back to the arc and Nightbird is on her mission. She is creeping around the Ark. And she's not just creeping around the bits of the Ark we've seen. There are cool new bits of the Ark, including a cool elevator. And in the, in the elevator, we see two characters. We see Spike and Prowl who are talking. And Spike, they're saying sensible things like, why would the 
the Decepticons do this? No idea. I've no idea. No. They say, you know, uh, Prowl says, you know, we've got to get on. We've got to get Nightbird back, but we can't expect her to come to us. And of course, she's just there on top of the elevator. She has literally come to them. Why the hell there is an elevator that goes up and down inside the crater of the volcano, and what Spike and Prowl are doing going up and down in this elevator? But never mind. She gets into the elevator and walks down the corridors and somehow still comes across this detection panel that Wheeljack was putting together earlier, which I would have thought would have been near the entrance, but apparently it's just in the middle of the arc somewhere. (laughs) It absolutely fails to respond to her, except for going lighting up a little bit when she gets close to it. And then she has magnetic feet, so she just walks up the wall and walks along the ceiling. Thus yeah. proving the point earlier that basically any Decepticon, Autobot, robot, whatever, made of metal that isn't walking on the floor, which all the Decepticons have the ability to not do, just they can just fly over it, gets missed completely. I think Wheeljack's big mistake here is making pressure pads that glow brightly and are clearly confined to one clear space of the ground. If they were secret hidden pressure pads, might have worked. But no, it didn't work. And within seconds, Nightbird has got to Teletran 1 and she's stolen the world energy chip. That didn't take long at all, did it? No. And it's... Okay, so the stealthiest Autobot is probably Mirage, given that he can turn invisible. And it's kind of also kind of ironic that he's the one who bumps into Nightbird. (laughs) What supreme irony. Nightbird promptly beats the living bejesus out of him, yes. uh, which is which is actually that's a human built robot, and we see her absolutely trouncing. Over. It's not oh, this is where the episode falls apart, isn't it? Oh, isn't it just? Um, yeah. She trounces the Autobots when she's cornered. Her hands turn into spinning saw blades that she can fire at the Autobots. Now, didn't he say she was not designed for assassination or combat? Why has she got lethal weapons firing out of her hands? Because Fujiyama has issues. He very, very much has issues. Um, She also has this weird spinny, glowy light show thing where she just disappears. Yeah, she sort of spins round, 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 round really fast. And then the Autobot stands. She's in the corner. There's no way out. Spins around, around really fast vanishes and the Autobots up to his prime and everyone are going, what? How did she do that? So she's got amazing ninja skills. Not only amazing ninja skills, but amazing ninja skills that are physically impossible. She's uh, Nightbird has made it out of the arc and the Autobots transform to hunt her down because I they just transform us. That's what they do. So they drive out the arc and they drive two minutes outside the arc and they find her on the mountains outside and Prime blasts her with a sun ray. End of the episode. Hooray! They go up, and they're about to retrieve her body, but... She was playing Roboto Possum! <laughs> Good grief. Another ninja skill. And then she pulls out another weapon that this thing that was designed not for combat... Has. She's got a lightsaber! An actual, <laughs> honest-to-God lightsaber, even with all the lightsaber sound effects. It's a lightsaber. Yeah, it's not particularly subtle, is it? But Not even is... slightly. But it's a cool weapon. 
I'll give her that. Um, it's just a shame that we've all seen them on Star Wars quite a lot, particularly when this was shown very yes. recently. Anyway, yeah. so she she bashes Prime. She bashes Prime with a lightsaber. So all the weapons that she has, I've noticed this. So she fires the little shuriken and the buzz saws and things at the Autobots. They just bounce off them. You know, they don't generally hurt the Autobots much. And the lightsaber, we in a previous episode we saw the Constructicons cut Prime to pieces with a lightsaber, but in this episode it just sort of knocks him over a bit, and Nightbird is able to run off with his gun. Yeah, the lightsaber in this episode does bear more resemblance to the uh, weapons that are used by the police in future armor, which sound and look like lightsabers, but basically are just sticks that they hit people with. <laughs> yes, the glow sticks. Yeah. I love those, yeah. But she runs off with Prime's laser gun. It's said that a ninja always takes a part of an enemy with her. Is it? <laughs> Is it really? Does anybody listening to this podcast know if that's actually true or not? Or do they just make it up for this episode because it's ninja and it's really exotic? <laughs> My money's on that, frankly. Yes, yes. Did you ever have... There was a bit of a craze going around. It was, it was probably in the 90s where they had the big foam buttons, a little bit of plastic at the bottom and a big foam button, and kids would just used to beat the, beat each other up with these big foam buttons. Did you, did you ever come across those? I saw I never had them, but I saw them, yes. Oh, yes. So that's very much what, uh, what she's using here. She's stolen Prime's gun. And a Megatron is what is just literally watching all of this on TV and having a big old laugh about it. There's yeah. no evidence of a camera anywhere. He's just watching it on TV, like us. Yeah, absolutely. Starscream is not impressed. No. But Bombshell calls him Nitro Nose, which I think is great. <laughs> yeah, because Starscream thinks that Bombshell has overtalked her circuits and she will soon burn out. And Starscream thinks that she's not coming back either. She's not so hot. She's hot enough to replace you anytime I choose, says Megatron. <laughs> so Megatron is fed up with Starscream and he wants a hot female lieutenant, clearly. Yeah, he's very impressed with Nightbird. Unfortunately, Nightbird cannot speak. So I am unable to replace you whenever I choose with Nightbird. Good. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. She also, not- Nightbird is fictional. <laughs> oh you've got an answer for everything jason <laughs> <laughs> yes i have <laughs> let's let's talk about transformers rather than uh try and turn into megatron and starscream let's let's do that ratchet and ironhide find that nightbird has stolen the chip that itemizes the world energy supplies that's the world energy chip that we mentioned earlier and they're quite concerned about it because how much energy is where and who's got it and what, no one knows anymore. And the Decepticons might know and they'd be able to go anywhere and find all the energy. To be fair, the Decepticons up to now have been very adept at finding these energy sources before the Autobots know where to look anyway. But you know. Yes, they're always ahead of the game. Hound tracks Nightbird with his infrared, which is, again, we love to see them use their special skills that are on the box. Uh, we've been seeing not so much of that recently, but they've remembered he's got infrared. Although... Yeah. Although it was Gears. Gears had infrared earlier, didn't he? Oh, yeah, no. Right in the beginning, it was Gears who used his infrared before so, he even had any lines. But never mind, anyway. They find her. <laughs> and Prime decides to try and use her sword as bait and say, come and get it. And so <laughs> she does, and it doesn't go well. Prime says, well, this wasn't one of my better ideas. No, it definitely wasn't. Yeah, the sword is kind of magnetised and it flies back into our hand. <clears throat> Once again, embarrassing the Autobots. Yep. 
and she's about to cut Optimus Prime in half, but decides that actually what Nightbird wants to do is she wants to jump up a cliff and show off instead. And this is a, a well-documented scene where <laughs> seven Autobots jump up the cliff and only one is unable to jump. Only one Autobot is unable to jump the cliff and it's bloody Cliff Jumper. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> We've seen him do it before. It's his flaming name. I mean, this really just... For me, this just this just sums up why this is such a dreadful episode. There is just no thought going into any of this at all. It's just making no sense. No, it has to be. It has to be deliberate. It, surely they know it's Cliff Jumper who cannot jump up the cliff. And I don't know. Maybe his name is like you know. You choose the name of the thing you're unable to do. He is unable to jump up a cliff. Therefore, he is called Cliff Jumper. Well, maybe he can only jump down them. <laughs> We can all jump down cliffs. That's not a special skill. I, well, it depends how you land, really, doesn't it? Oh, yes. <laughs> she starts climbing up the mountain, but she is defeated by a loose rock, which comes away in her hand, and she falls off down to earth. Uh, she's got a few more like fly, flying stars to throw at the Autobots, but they just bounce off. Uh, Mirage goes invisible and gets Prime's rifle back. So once again, Mirage has absolutely saved the day. Or he might have done if he'd actually used the blasted thing instead of going, Prime, I got your gun! <laughs> Shoot her! Sh- use the blasted thing! <clears throat> I mean, he's, Prime has been very much holding everybody back at this point and going, no, 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 we can't damage her. We promised Dr. Fujiyama that we wouldn't damage her. At this point, Prime goes, oh, never mind, and he actually shoots her point blank. Yep. And she goes down, but she's still okay. He shoots her point black with the weapon that he fired at Devastator and caused Devastator to fall into little pieces. The one he used to blow open the door to get into talk just an episode ago. Yeah, that's The a one he was gun. using to blow up tanks just an episode ago. Shoot her point blank range. This Dr. Fujiyama guy is clearly very, very dangerous and needs to be locked up, <laughs> frankly. Because <laughs> he's created the deadliest, most impervious to virtually everything robot Ever. I mean, how over-engineered do you have to design your robot to be able to withstand a point-blank shot from Optimus Prime's laser cannon, for crying out loud? And this is the kind of thing that, you know, as I, yeah, we're podcasters in our X decade, but I think even at the age of six, seven, eight, this kind of thing you'd find really annoying because you know that's a human machine. You know the Autobots and Decepticons are tougher than anything humans can build. And it's just it just gets under your skin how annoying it is that she's beating up the Autobots. I don't know. If there had been some kind of alien... if it, The valuable thing inside, if it had been some kind of alien artefact, I could have gone with it, you know? If it had been like, oh, we found this substance from a meteorite that made her super impervious, that would have been fine. But no, it's just a machine he's built. Very yeah. Yeah. But never mind, Megatron is still watching. Starscream is on Megatron's replacement list. Starscream is not a happy bunny. No, no. Uh, he's he's very impressed with Nightbird. She's everything I've always wanted. And this is getting really, really bizarre and disturbing, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's invented robot sexuality. So, you know, you can't blame Megatron for being interested. Starscream flips his lid and pushes Megatron over, and that is too much. You know, I mean, he's already sent, sentenced Starscream to death as a traitor about three times this series. 
but now it's game over for Starscream, and he imprisons Starscream in an energy cage, which is quite cool. I like the energy It cage. is quite cool. Not before he's turned his fellow jets against him by getting Skywarp and Thundercracker to grab him and pin him and cage him. So, you know, it's... Yeah. But while he's been busy doing that, he's failed to notice the Autobots have done exactly the same thing with Nightbird. Yeah, they've imprisoned her in an electro mesh mm. while Starscream is screaming, literally screaming away in the background. You can't keep me in here. Uh, Nightbird struggles in the mesh and drops the world energy chip. Thank heavens. Phew, the world energy chip is safe. Oh, that's all right. That's a relief. We were very, very worried about that. Yeah, Cliff Jumper is about to grab it, but he's blasted by Megatron. He is, and there's a big laser battle between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Now, this was also very bad, because normally they're either very far away from each other behind cover firing guns, or they get close up and start wrestling. This laser battle, they're about 20 feet away from each (coughs) other, and they run towards each other, firing their guns full pelt, and... It's just ridiculous. They should all be dead. Nobody gets hit or anything like that. Uh, Megatron pulls out an antimatter blaster that eats up energy, apparently. Uh, Antimatter again. And uses it to zap the energy, the electromesh cage holding Nightbird and releases Nightbird. Using the sound effect of the Martian heat ray from the 1953 version of War of the Worlds. Oh, oh, I thought you just did the Doctor I thought you just did the Doctor Who ones. I am now seriously impressed. I do all sorts of sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> but that one crops up several times. It's uh, it's quite iconic that one. Excellent. So, uh Prime goes 100% 60s Batman and tells Megatron, "You fiend." Yes. So, the only person left watching this on TV back at the Decepticon base is Starscream, and he's all on his own watching telly. Um, and then he deactivates the cage. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry, is there something wrong with the way he deactivates the cage? <laughs> it's bloody hilarious. He fires <laughs> a tiny little missile from his wrist, which, does it destroy the controls to the electromesh cage? Does it bounce off and blow up and short out? No, it goes doink off the off switch and turns off the electromesh cage. Yeah. <laughs> what? But doink. Starscream's had enough. He's going to show Megatron what his precious ninja is really like. And he gets there just in time. It's a really loud and violent battle. And Starscream does what somebody should have done about 15 minutes ago. And he blasts Nightbird with his null ray. Yeah, and despite all the efforts of all the Autobots and all the various weapons, they all tried their various specialist weapons, um, called out various times, like Cliff Jumper's glass gas, Jazz tried to use sound to disorient, all that. No, no effect whatsoever. Starscream just zaps her once, and she just goes, bonk, and that's it, she's gone. Yeah, he's well aware He's well aware of what's going on as well. He says, say goodnight to your Megatron. <laughs> yeah. But actually, what he should have done is not say that, and just sit quietly behind the rock and pretend it was an Autobot that blasted her, because Megatron overhears him. Yes, and immediately goes after the star screen with the rest of the Decepticons. So technically doesn't actually sound a retreat at this point. He's actually just changed his goals, which is yes. now we're going after Starscream instead. Yes, this occurs at 20 minutes and 54 seconds. That's really late, actually. It is, but not too late to get us a final bit where uh, Dr. Fujiyama 
is grateful that she's back without a scratch on her chassis, which seems incredibly improbable given everything that she's been through. Yes, and I should note at this point that the auditorium, the big dome they were in, is still wrecked. The Autobots have done nothing to fix it, so he's still in this wrecked auditorium. But he's pleased to have Nightbird back in one piece. It's all good. She's been deprogrammed and neutralised. And like any scientist who's created an amazing invention, the first thing you do is safely lock it up forever. In some giant metal coffin thing that he just happened to have lying around, one assumes. Yeah. But, but the camera zooms in on Nightbird and she's lying there still. Zooms in on her eyes and they glow evilly. Oh, she she snarls. Oh, terrible. It suggests suggests that she will be back. I really, really hope she isn't. (laughs) Jason, I've got some good news. She isn't. I, I have no idea. I don't think. She, I don't think she does come back. I think this is not only enter the nightbird; it is also exit the nightbird. Good, because frankly, this was a bloody awful episode. Magnificent, tremendous, unbelievable, very impressive. Bravo! But that said, would you like to say that anyone in particular was a man of the match? Starscream, Thank unquestionably, you. is the man of the match for basically being the only one who actually just gets on with the job of inactivating Nightbird and ends up basically giving the Autobots their victory. And all because he's just a bit irritated. And it's not like it's not like he makes much it's not like he comes up with a huge complicated plan. He just casually defeats Nightbird with a quick blast. She's down. Yep. She's finished. Yeah. 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 So Starscream is the man of the match, but and really that's the highlight of the entire episode is Starscream's attitude towards Nightbird and just how easy she is to defeat at the end. The whole premise of this episode is silly. It's not even it's not even fun. I didn't even find it fun. It was just totally nonsensical. This robot that was created by a person not for combat that has loads of deadly weapons that just spring out of all sorts of compartments. And the Autobots can't actually finish her off with all of their weapons, all of their working together, all of their ingenuity, and it's only Starscream just going, oh, I'll do it, boff. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because, like, realistically speaking, this is a cartoon series where, you know, daft things happen every week, the plotting is done in a hurry, everything's, like, a bit of a mess, realistically. And there shouldn't be that much difference in quality between the episodes, but sometimes it works gangbusters. Sometimes it's thoroughly entertaining and sometimes it's just stupid and disappointing and irritating. And for some reason, Nightbird... And Nightbird is like, okay, it's a horrible cliche, but she does look quite cool. It's quite a cool design. It's a nice colour scheme. The face mask is really cool. It It just doesn't work. It just... Yeah, and that whole thing about it being a human invention that defeats a bunch of Autobots is, I don't know, it it's a real shame. And it's a good thing we got Starscream in this episode to light things up, because that is a real highlight. Uh, and make, and that is, his scenes are really enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It is It is Starscream that is the only thing that makes this episode actually worth watching, frankly. Very good. Um, so no, that was that was terrible. Fair enough. So there we go. So we have we have survived the day of the machines, and we have also watched Enter the Nightbird. 
endured, I think, would be a <laughs> Endured, suffered into the night bird. But that's okay, because I think in terms of hit rate, we are substantially up, because I've enjoyed pretty much every other episode so far, so that's good. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Enter the Nightbird was terrible, but it it was the first episode, I think, that I've watched that I haven't actually enjoyed. All of the others I enjoyed on some level because either they were just totally, utterly insane and wonderful or they had a good solid plot inside them or, you know, they had some good moments in. But this one, there's just like, what on earth did I just spend 20 minutes watching? So... That just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with Jason Thompson. We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, remember, hell hath no fury like a Starscream scorned. Good night. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you. Thank you.